Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 48, the basis for our intro today, is a psalm of thanksgiving. In this psalm, the sons of Korah praise God for all his marvelous works of judgment and grace. The psalm praises God for destroying the enemies of the church and for preserving for them the city temple, and the worship of God. And we sing this psalm today in our service because God is pleased to preserve his church and his gospel against the roaring and the hatred of his enemies. They will perish and they will be confounded and they will be covered with shame. While the gospel shall remain as it was before, unhurt and unhindered. In this psalm we see that God shall cause the church to endure, prosper, and praise in the midst of her enemies. First thing we'll talk about is how God causes his church to endure and why he does. The second point that we will cover is that the church endures, prospers, and praises in the midst of her enemies. God causes his church to endure. This is a great gospel truth that we must keep in mind as we contemplate the rest of our readings today. Jesus and the prophet Jeremiah challenge us with scary words. There are false prophets. They scatter the sheep of God's flock. False prophets and false teachers make people spiritually worthless, like salt which has lost its saltiness. These warnings ought to cause us to avoid all false teachers of every stripe. Jesus and our epistle lesson from Paul continue to speak of another enemy, our sinful flesh. If we live according to the flesh, that is, our corrupted nature, which is apart from God, hates God, and wants to be God, we shall die here in time and there in eternity. Christ, in our gospel lesson, tells us that confessing, Lord, Lord, doesn't automatically get us into God's kingdom. And it doesn't matter if you are a preacher or a miracle worker. It doesn't matter even if you cast out demons in Jesus' name. And for a confirmation of this, look at the seven sons of Siva in Acts chapter 19. They were successful exorcists who didn't believe in Christ. And their formula for exorcism was, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. But these faithless exorcists finally meet their match in the chapter. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. In short, the flesh hates God, and it must be put to death by the Spirit. And yet, despite these warnings, we have a promise in Psalm 48 that God will cause his church to endure. How do we know this? Well, first, we know that God will cause his church to endure because of his loving kindness. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. Loving kindness. 
Loving kindness does not do justice to that Hebrew word hased. It does mean kindness, but it also means mercy, especially to those who are lowly, needy, and miserable. Hased means redemption. It means buying back and rescue from enemies. Hased means the preservation of life from death. Hased means the quickening of spiritual life. Hased means the forgiveness of sins. Hased means God's faithfulness in keeping covenants with faithless people. God not only gives us loving kindness, but he also gives us the time to think of it. And in order to think, you need time. In order to think, you need quiet. In order to think, you need a safe place, a refuge. In order to think, you need the necessities of life. God gives us all of these things on account of his loving kindness. This loving kindness is found most clearly in his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Christ shows mercy to us, the lowly, the needy, and the miserable. Christ redeems us. He buys us back, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Christ is the mercy seat where we receive the forgiveness of sins. Christ is proof that God is faithful to his covenant with Abraham, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abram's seed. And like the people of the Old Testament, we are sitting here now in the midst of the temple. We have time to think on God's loving kindness right now, on Wednesdays, and in Bible study. But this time to think on God's loving kindness is not limited to places built of wood and stone, gold or cedar. Those who worship the Father now worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that means that they think of Jesus whose body is the true temple, made without hands, destroyed on the cross, and raised up after three days. And when we, and we are free to think of Christ and of his loving kindness at all times, when we lie down at night, when we rise in the morning, when we eat our daily bread, when we walk along the road, when we speak to our children and our grandchildren. God has blessed us in ways that our ancestors could never imagine. During the Industrial Revolution, factory workers worked 14 hours a day, six days a week. Their children, as young as four, worked for 20% of their parents' wages doing the same thing, and they never learned to read or to write. Then go back even further. Look at biblical history. After Moses commanded that Pharaoh let God's people go, Pharaoh made their lives so bitter by work that the scriptures say that they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Unlike them, we have time. We are not living subsistence lives. 
Our children are able to learn and to grow and to thrive rather than being crushed in the merciless cogs of a machine. And so let us take advantage of the great blessing of time so that we might receive the greatest blessing of God, his loving kindness. God causes his church to endure because of his name. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. God's name is holy in itself, but we pray in the Lord's Prayer that God's name would be holy among us and among all people too. God's name is praised when we teach according to God's word and live lives according to his will. And so what is said in the psalm is a promise. God leads and protects us, not only because of his loving kindness, but also for his name's sake, which is the same thing that we say in Psalm 23. God will not let his name be forgotten, nor will he let his praise die out. We see this clearly in Exodus 32. After the Israelites create and worship the golden calf, the Lord wants to destroy them all and make a new nation out of Moses. But Moses pleads with God, not because the people are worth saving, because they weren't, but because of God's name and reputation that these things would be hurt if he justly punished them. Moses said, Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. The fact that God causes his church to endure because of his name is a comforting promise. Because no matter how spineless the church is, no matter how fierce our foes are, our Lord God will cause his church to endure because he wants his name to be preached in all the world so that many might be saved and that they might show the glory of God's mercy and loving kindness. And because of God, the church endures, prospers, and praises in the midst of her enemies. Now, given the epistle and gospel texts, you might not think much of the Christian church because of her foes. And one false teaching, one false doctrine that is spread a lot is that Christians are joyless and judgmental. We are malvivant to them. We do not have the refined tastes. We do not enjoy the good things in life, so they say. The poet Swinburne summed up this thinking in his poem, Hymn to Proserpine. There he says, Thou hast conquered, O pale Galilean. The world has grown gray from thy breath. We have drunken of things Lithian, fed on the fullness of death. In short, what this poet is saying is that Jesus makes the world gray, uninteresting, and not much fun. But this is not what the Bible teaches. Zion is a fair place, and it is the joy of all the earth. Rather than being gray, the church has palaces, 
citadels, fortresses, where God himself has made himself known as a refuge, a towering stronghold. A palace is beautiful. We Christians do enjoy the good things of life, and we enjoy them even more than the pagans do, because we understand that every perfect gift is given from above. We truly are the bon vivants, because we rejoice in the one who gave the daily bread, and we enjoy our daily bread in moderation, and not with the excesses of gluttony, drunkenness, and the like. But a palace is not only beautiful, a palace is also a safe place for all of our treasures. God is our greatest treasure. He is also our sure and certain defense. In this psalm, the sons of Korah are talking about physical palaces and fortresses in the city of Jerusalem. But are our homes not palaces? They are palaces. If God is a refuge and a, and a towering stronghold in them, even the lowliest hovel in Cheyenne is a palace if God the King of Glory dwells there. And this is true of this building right here. The roof leaks, the carpet needed replacing, the organ needs work, and the retaining wall needs to be fixed. Other churches have better looking facilities and they have more money. But this place is a palace despite everything. Because God is here. Christ is here. The triune God has come to give us eternal treasures, and he himself provides a place of safety and escape right here. Even a blasted heath on the windswept Wyoming prairie is a palace if Christ is there with his word sacraments. The church also endures and prospers and praises because God will be our guide beyond death. Now this is the real text. If God were not our guide beyond death, then all of this life would be for nothing. Everything would be useless and in vain. But God is our guide beyond death. Our Savior Jesus Christ died in order to destroy the power of death. He has gone before, ahead of us. He is the true pathfinder. He blazed a road right into the heavenly places where he now prepares a place for us in his Father's mansions. We need no longer fear death. That is, we need no longer fear God's wrath. Death for us has become a peaceful departure, a blessed sleep, a being with Christ which is far better. Like poor, broken, starving, disease-ridden Lazarus, the angel shall come and escort us to Abram's bosom. That's the thing, the dead are not gone. They live still. That was the point to the wicked and evil Sadducees who mocked the resurrection of the dead. Jesus said to them, But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. The church never shrinks when people die. They are still members of the one holy Christian and apostolic church. They are no longer a member of the church militant, the fighting church here on earth. They now enjoy being members of the kingdom of glory, where they are tended to by the Lamb, their shepherd, where they join the unfallen angels to sing God's, to God's great glory. Once I heard from an old, gray-headed pastor that there are too many gray hairs and bald heads in the pews. He thought that he was being mission-minded. All that he was being was a jerk. Thanks be to God for the gray hairs and the bald heads. They near the end of their race. They have kept the faith and they are about to enter paradise. And those gray hairs and those bald heads are here because they believe that God will be their guide beyond death. They are right. We should rejoice when a walker-pushing elder comes to church just as much as we rejoice when a newborn child is baptized. God shows no partiality, so why should we? We often get so caught up in whether a congregation will fold or survive that we miss these wonderful reasons for rejoicing. And even if congregations do fold, the church endures. Even if the visible church is smashed and scattered as it was after the martyrdom of Stephen, God still causes his church to endure, to grow, and to prosper according to his good and gracious will. Knowing that God will cause the church to endure and prosper in the midst of her enemies, let us rejoice. O you who trust in the Lord, rejoice, because you are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. You who are the mountains of God, rejoice. O you daughters of Judah, who are are of Israel by faith in the King of the Jews, be glad. Rejoice and be glad in the judgments of God, which warn you about false and faithless prophets. Rejoice and be glad in the loving kindness of God, which is fully shown in Christ's death and resurrection. And rejoice that God is a refuge in this life, and that he is a guide to the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.